1: and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry and I'm joined by the English playwright of American Soccer Media, Adam Snavely. Hello there, Adam. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: That's right. It is Pepper Joe and the Baron Lord Snavington coming at you (laughs) live. Not really live because this is a podcast, so this will go out after we do this, but it feels better when I say live. Coming at you in Total Soccer Show land for a very, very special holiday episode. I'm doing well, Joe. Thank you for asking that was on brand. You nailed that response in, in the way
1: that I assumed you would. Adam, the way you approach everything that you do from a soccer standpoint, and I assume in life, is, is just so fascinating to me. And so <laughs> for maybe listeners who don't know, and that, maybe that sounded bad. That was not the intention. For listeners who don't know, Adam started a newsletter during this pandemic time. And for a while, you were doing it daily or almost daily. And now it's more of a weekly thing and you're working on other projects. I wanted to ask you, what is your creative process like? I mean, we we both freelanced for the athletic at the same time. I got to read your stuff there. Now I read it in the newsletter, obviously, that comes to my email very conveniently. How do you sit down and come up with some of the things that you come up with? Because they are downright genius.
2: <laughs> uh wow. I, I just really I'm appreciating the, the ego fluffing that is occurring at the <laughs> beginning at the top of the episode. Well, thank you so much. Um you know, the creative process for me is I, I feel like it, it's a little bit undefined and kind of throwing darts at a wall sometimes, which makes sense if you have read my newsletter or are familiar with my work, because that's typically what a lot of my work feels like. You are liable to see anything from very serious, impassioned uh, pieces about per se the the united states men's national team uh compared to possibly uh the movie no country for old men and a serial murderer that stalks people throughout that film or you might find that i have created a board game that is completely playable and that you can actually take and if you download a page you could actually play it if you wanted to all you needed is literally the image that I posted the rules that I also posted on the newsletter and a couple of dice. It's very, very simple. So I I don't know. I I think that, I think that ultimately I, when I started writing soccer things, I got noticed when I was posting some, some satirical posts on uh, SB nations, fan fan sites, fan post sections on their U S blog and some on uh, a couple other different soccer blogs that they had. And I guess I just I got into the soccer journalism game through a weird back door in that I thought to myself, I want to have fun. I want to write something that's interesting and and approach things a little bit differently than most people seem to approach it. And so I kind of just took that and, and ran with it. And so that has translated itself into a lot of the times humor but also uh, kind of a more referential heavy style, I guess, than most people in this country and and in most countries, I guess, that are covering the game actually tend to cover it.
1: Yeah, that board game newsletter was my absolute favorite. Maybe, man, it's one of the best things you've ever wrote, in my (laughs) humble opinion, just top notch. We're not just here to talk about Snavely's newsletter. We are here to talk turkey. Not really. We're here to talk about Thanksgiving today, tomorrow, yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this is Thanksgiving. We're recording on Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, regardless of that. I know this year, 2020, has been hard for a lot of people. But I think that when things are hard, it's even more important to think about and talk about things that we have to be thankful for. And so that's what you and I, Adam, are here to do. We've each spent some time contemplating soccer things that we have to be thankful for. You've got some things, I've got some things, and we're going to go back and forth to talk about those things. Does that sound like it's the ingredients for a sufficiently thankful episode to you, Adam?
2: That sounds very good. Uh, and I would just like to formally apologize to anybody who heard you say we're going to talk about Turkey and we're eagerly awaiting uh, an analysis of Besiktas's, uh defensive rotations, because <laughs> that is probably not what we're going to talk about today, unless Joe has that prepared, because I, I do not have that on my docket.
1: <laughs> no, it's not on mine either. But now I'm thinking that might have been a missed opportunity. No, uh, we're going to let that one be. Adam, since you are the guest here, why don't you go first and hit us with the first soccer thing that you're thankful for?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of doing one that I feel like might also be on your list and it feels almost a little bit too obvious, but since I'm going for first, I'm just, I'm just going to go for it. And right now in the soccer world, I guess I am more or less just thankful for soccer happening in general still right yeah. now. Yeah. Um and it's, it's, it's wild to think that in, in this time, so many leagues and countries have still figured out how to have functioning leagues and are still up and running these, these competitions that it seems like would probably have been shuttered at this point. And I, I don't know if it is wise or ethical to keep playing soccer now. And there's plenty of good arguments um, against it I, and that that I know and that I've heard of. Um, and I think particularly against a lot of international uh play that's happening with a lot of international players coming back from international break and testing positive for COVID. But I am very, very thankful to be able to just watch soccer and to be able to get excited about something, to be able to feel joy at a game that I love and that I'm assuming the people listening to this podcast love. And so I'm very pro-joy. And so I I am just thankful for soccer happening in general. Hot take,
1: Adam Snavely is pro-joy. Pro-joy. You won't be able to run for office after this, apparently. Ooh, you know, (laughs) darn. (laughs) (laughs) soccer just in general being alive i guess was at the top of my list as well i know there have been as you said some ethical issues some just wisdom issues with playing soccer at times this year but when it has been able to be done safely and ethically it's been it's been a joy consistently throughout this year when we had soccer back when we had mls's back that influx of games that came back and even the nwsl tournament before that just any any soccer that we could all latch onto was wonderful and still is. And I'm thankful that we have that. I want to continue a broader trend for my first specific thing that I'm thankful for. And that's, that's what I'm thankful for the American soccer community. Oh, yeah. Adam, seeing, seeing the outpouring of love and support that the American soccer community has shown in the aftermath of, of the passing of Daryl Grove has been, has been truly special
2: to see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I completely agree. And, and I, I can say that as a testament to even before Daryl's passing and throughout Daryl's battle with cancer, that that was the case. I can say that through many American soccer figures cases that have occurred over this past year. The American soccer community was also on my list as, as was Substack and even the total soccer show um, and, and specifically Taylor. Um, And we, and we talked and you, you mentioned this earlier, but you know, we were both kind of in somewhat of a similar boat at the beginning of this year with how we were both writing for the athletic. We had freelance gigs with them and that, got taken away from us. And and I know for me, and I'm going to guess for you, there was a very big, well, uh, what, what do I do now? And then how do I, how do I continue my career, let alone continue to survive in the world? And the American soccer community, the community that had been supporting my writing up to that point really helped me a lot getting through that, and obviously you see the continued support that the the community and the Total Soccer Show community has given uh, towards Daryl, uh, towards his wife Shannon, towards Taylor, um, and everybody that really called. Daryl, a really, really close friend. I I just see now, and I, I just actually pre-ordered the uh, the Hello and Welcome patch that I saw uh, the Cooligans flogging a lot online. And I see a lot of people reposting it and talking about how they bought it. And it seems to be going really, really well. And I'm just consistently amazed, but not necessarily surprised that this very kind of disparate community continues to Look out for each other so much.
1: Yeah, and I want to go back to that patch for a minute as well. I've order, I've ordered mine just like Adam has, and it's it's from On the Volley Apparel with help from the Cooligans and TSS. They put together that hello and welcome patch that you can pre-order right now. There'll be a link in the show notes for that. And the the important part about that is that all of the funds from the sale go directly to Shannon, Daryl's wife, to help cover the medical bills that are that are pouring in at the moment. So if you can support. Shannon by buying a patch I would totally encourage you to do that again the link will be in the show notes right now all you have to do is just move your little little pointer finger on down your phone screen or wherever you're listening and you'll find it and you can click on it but yeah Adam on a personal note for me it's it's very similar to what you said it's it's always encouraging and I'm I'm immensely grateful for the opportunities that have been afforded to me because of the generosity of people in the American soccer space both both people on the media side and and people who just listen to stuff I do listen to this show read stuff that I write randomly and the same I know goes for you. So that is a big thing for me. Adam, what is the next item on your thankfulness list?
2: Oh, let's actually talk about a little bit of soccer because you know what? When I think about soccer things that I was really, really happy about in 2020, I think about Katerina Macario getting her United States (laughs) citizenship because I am excited to watch her play for the United States women's team. Um and, and particularly as somebody who feels a particular kinship with Brazil as well. Um for those of you listening who don't know, my mother is from Brazil. She is a she was uh my my grandparents are American, but they they lived in Brazil for uh multiple decades, and my mom and her sisters were born and raised there. Her first language is Portuguese. Um so it was really, really cool. To get that news outside of the obvious, wow, this is a monster of a player that is potentially kind of the the talent, the level of talent that she can bring is is game changing to the women's program. Um, but even beyond that, it was very, very cool and a very happy, just a happy thing that I got to share with my mom when I told her the news because she didn't know about Katerina Mercario um, beforehand but i got to tell her you know she's she's from brazil she moved here uh when she was in her early teens and she is playing for the united states now and and my mom i got to see how excited my mom was and that was just a kind of a very special thing that we got to share together um so i'm i'm very thankful and excited about katarina macario's future with the united states women's national team and uh was one of the things that i was at the top of my list for thankfulness this year
1: yeah, let's talk about Katarina Macario. She is a tremendous player well, currently with Stanford in in the NCAA right now. But she recently got that US citizenship and she is in camp right now with the US women's national team. I do not believe and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this or, or maybe a listener will. I don't think she's eligible to play for the United States just yet. She's not even yet. though she has acquired. Okay, so she has her citizenship, but she's still waiting on on stuff from FIFA and for forms to get filed and for you know different documents to be acquired and whatnot. But From a talent on-field standpoint, she is the real deal. She is quality in the attacking half. She has a strong right foot. I've seen a clip of of one of her goals, and the ball comes out to her just outside the box. She's outside the right side of the box, and she hits it on the volley with her right foot, and it loops, and it bends, and it beats the goalkeeper in a ridiculous kind of way. She has the talent to impact the national team sooner rather than later. And yeah, I'm with you there, Adam. The fact that she is now well on her way to appearing for the United States women's national team— that is something to be thankful for.
2: Yeah. And if you're looking for read on, uh, on Kat Macario, I know that, uh, that people like Meg Linehan, uh, people like Stephanie Yang have written very, very good pieces on her. Um, but yeah, I, if you're looking for the next big thing and something to be excited about with the U S women's national team coming up in the next two to three years, I would be most excited for Kat Macario because she, in addition to obviously her, her attacking qualities and her, obvious goal scoring abilities for a college player she just sees the game so differently and it just seems like she can peer into the future in a way that not a lot of players at, at her level can so I'm very very intrigued to see if she goes into the NWSL who she goes to and what her future with the national team is
1: I want to stick on the United States women's national team side of things because one of the things that I'm thankful for right now, one of the soccer things that I'm thankful for is that we get a U.S. women's national team game on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving as our post-Thanksgiving digestion entertainment. We certainly do. The U.S. are playing the Netherlands on Friday and the Netherlands are a good team. This is a chance for the U.S. to play. Yes, it's a friendly, but it's a chance for the U.S. to play a solid opponent, an opponent that they've played recently in a World Cup This is going to be a competitive game, and Andonovsky has brought in a mix of established players in camp, like Alex Morgan, Julie Ertz, Sam Mewis, Crystal Dunn, who I know you appreciate her soccer ability, Adam, and then Becky Sauerbrunn. There are established national team players in this group, but then there's also newer faces like Kat Macario, who you and I just talked about, Sophia Smith, Jalen Howell, who are are never, who have never had an appearance for the women's national team before. This is a chance for us to see the old guard and the, the established guard. Not, they're not particularly old, or at least not many of them are, but players we've seen with the U.S. on the past, and we've seen them dominate before, but also some new players. And, and for us to get a chance to look at who these new up-and-coming people are for the women's national team, I'm excited to sit back, digest, and maybe have some leftovers while I'm digesting, and watch the U.S. play on Friday.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite stories about this camp in general, outside of Cat Macario and some of these other young players, is the return of Christy Mewis and getting the the Mewis sister reunion that is happening in the U.S. women's national team. Because it has been a long road back to the national team. And I think that uh, Christy has, has struggled at times with injury and kind of finding her form. But you saw in the Challenge Cup just how important of a player she was for the champions, the Houston Dash, and just how much she can still bring to the table. And I'm very, very excited to see her get her chance once again.
1: And we we know she can celebrate as well. That is, I think, the, the biggest takeaway that I have from the NWSL Challenge Cup is Christy Mewis knows how to celebrate a championship. And so, hey, maybe she'll bring that to the national team as well. Adam, what's next on your list?
2: Yeah, the the Christy Mewis 16 Bud Heavy celebration photo <laughs> is, is quite possibly the best soccer photo that I have seen in the last several years, Agreed. let alone Agreed. this year. <laughs> Uh, let's, let's switch things up a little bit and go into a little bit more granular mode, a little bit more specific. Um, I'm thankful for Valentino Lazaro's ultimate scorpion kick goal that just happened like a week or two ago for Borussia Mönchengladbach against, uh, they were playing Bayer Leverkusen. And I don't know if you saw this goal, Joe, and I don't know if you saw this goal listener that is listening to me talk right now, but if you haven't, you just need to pause us and go watch the goal because this isn't the goal of the year. This is probably the goal of the decade.
1: Okay. I haven't seen this goal. Can you, cause I'm not currently able to pause our recording session and go
2: watch Fair it. Enough. <laughs> can you, can you walk me through this goal? Yeah. So it's funny because this is all in a losing effort for uh, Barucha at this point in the game. It- it comes in the 93rd minute with only three minutes of stoppage time, three or four minutes of stoppage time. And Bayer Leverkusen is up four to two in the game. So Mönchengladbach is is pressing and looking for a goal, but they, at this point, don't really have a realistic hope of bringing the game back. And at this point, they're just throwing a little bit numbers at the wall and they swing the ball into the box. And Valentino Lazaro is... Not particularly close to the goal. He is probably a a little bit more than he's a little bit further away from the goal than the penalty spot and a little bit further towards the near post. So I'm going to say he's maybe 13, 14 yards from goal and the cross is coming behind him and he has a, a teammate that looks like he might be able to get his head on the ball, but that is running in behind him and Valentino Lazaro does not let that ball pass him he throws his heel up in one of the most truly impressive scorpion kicks i think i've ever seen and it just glances off perfectly and settles into the top corner of the far right post it was almost like seeing a reverse bicycle kick done it was so graceful and so far out from goal it is it is one of legitimately it, it's it's it was almost like the antithesis of of the Wayne Rooney bicycle kick that always gets posted. It was that pretty. Um and I highly encourage anybody to go watch that goal because it is so impressive.
1: I think it's fitting that a goal makes our list because I don't have any specific moments like that on my my list of thankful things, but I'm glad that you do because soccer soccer is great to have back, but I also miss that that feeling of when you're watching a game and seeing the ball hit the back of the net, especially when it's satisfying. It's less satisfying when the ball hits the back of the net after an own goal or after some fluky thing that happens. But to see a a piece of skill up up close like that and to see that happen in a major stage, on a major stage, that is satisfying. And and to steal a line from you, Adam, that is joyful and I am also pro-joy. So I I appreciate that that's on your list because, man, there is almost nothing like watching an incredible goal hit the back of
2: the net. Yeah, it it reminded me almost a little bit of of watching uh, the Jermaine Jones goal against Portugal in the 2014 World Cup. And that feeling of, of absolute euphoria that the U.S. had scored against Portugal. And not only have they scored against Portugal, but they had done it in such a way. And honestly, this, this kind of reminds me a little bit of, of when you asked me about my creative process a little bit and how I choose to cover soccer, because I think that it's very easy to cover all of the very minute details. It's easy to cover all of the transfers, all of the, all of the things that teams do on the field. Not to say that, not to say that it's easy necessarily, (laughs) I guess. Now I'm regretting that choice of words. No, you're good. Keep going. I think that a lot of people do it. And I think that a lot of people do it very, very well. And that's fine. But I think there is also something to be said to being able to describe the feeling of being in a crowded restaurant, with 30 strangers that you do not know and everybody just jumping up and screaming as loud as they can because this thing happened and you all immediately felt the same feeling. And I think that that's a little bit of what I felt when I watched Valentino Lazaro's goal. And I, And I think that that's a little bit of what I try to get at in a lot of the times when I am covering soccer in the way that I cover soccer, because it is a sport that can inspire such strong emotions. And I think that those emotions and those stories that conjure those things are also worthy of coverage.
1: We're seeing some of that today, even with Diego Maradona's death uh, that was reported earlier today as we're recording. We're seeing people bring up memories that they have of watching him or a specific moment that he that he had on the field. Maybe that's the hand of God goal or whatever it is. Maybe it's the, the dominant World Cup that he had in, amongst the four that he was in in his career. We see sports unite people. And even in 2020, when a lot of that's been taken away, maybe it's, maybe it's the unfortunate passing of a superstar or maybe it's an incredible goal, a Scorpion kick goal that would make Zlatan Ibrahimovic proud. But it's, it's cool to be able to unite around some of those moments and, and for you, Adam, to describe some of those moments for the rest of us
2: yeah i I absolutely agree and I think that I mean it's easy it could be easy to say, you know just throwing out there I'm thankful for the career that Diego Maradona had and the moments that he gave us on the field uh, and truly feel sorry for everybody feeling a sort of a sense of grief and loss at his passing today, which was ex- extremely sudden and just kind of came I mean just just came out of left field for so many people.
1: Absolutely. I'm gonna move us forward from from the goal from Diego Maradona to to my next thankful thing. And this is it's that I'm thankful for Yunus Musa's mom's vacation to New York in two thousand two. <laughs> I am thankful for Yunus Musa's mom's vacation in two thousand two because Yunus Musa now, as a result of that vacation, he was born in New York in two thousand two and is eligible to play for the United States men's national team. We saw it some in November. We got a glimpse. Uh, we we figured out that he was going to be playing with the US and, and Berhalter was going to call him in. And we all scrounged up and, and tried to find Valencia footage to learn more about him playing in Spain in La Liga for Valencia. And then we got to see him against Wales and we got to see him against Panama. And he was very, very, very good. He's a quad national. England, Italy, Ghana, and the United States of America all because again that that fourth one on the list. He's not a tri-national; he's a quad-national, which isn't a real term. But I'm going to pretend like it is. He's eligible for the United States, all because of that vacation, and I'm thankful for that.
2: You know, it does enter the the canon of fortuitous United States soccer births that that have occurred in the grand scheme of things. And and I did in the in the kind of aftermath of seeing Yunus Musa debut for the United States, I did see other people talking about. Well, you know. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's son was also born in the United States, so wh- maybe we could work something out there. And and I, it is, it is funny, but also it reminds me so much of why I love watching the United States play. Um, and even at points of time when I feel patriotism might be hard to come by for me, I still love watching the us play because the team almost always reminds me of i think the very best elements of of what i see in the country where i was born and and what the country where i was born could be and that is the celebration of so many different backgrounds so many different paths to this this thing that we call the national team and how so many different people like just fundamentally different this you know yunus musa like you said is a quad national and he is an american because he was born in the united states because his mom took a vacation the president of liberia's son is a u.s national because he was born in the united states Uh, and you have so many different stories and and just these these disparate paths to this one place and they come together and represent the same thing. And I think that in moments where I, I even doubt my patriotism or find it hard, harder to come by, um, because those moments occur. And I think those moments occur for everyone. I think that a lot of the time being able to watch these soccer players play together and represent my country reminds me of what I love about it.
1: What did you think of Yunus Musa in his couple of performances in November for the United States Men's National Team? Taylor and I talked about him, but I want your perspective because I know you also watched those games.
2: Yeah, you know, on the the purely objective soccer level, I loved the chemistry that was already building between him and Weston McKennie and Tyler Adams behind them as they all managed to figure out different runs, ways to progress the ball, ways to cover for each other, which I think was a very underrated part of Eunice Musa's game was figuring out how to cover best for Weston McKenney when Weston McKenney was kind of barging forward on a, an attacking foray. I love the way he moved the ball. I love the way that he could dribble out of midfield. But I think that at the end of the game and at the end of both games, my biggest thing that I loved seeing was it was clear that he was having so much fun just playing. Like he just wanted to play. And that was very, very clear. And that's what makes me, honestly, most hopeful about Yunus Musa ultimately choosing the United States. Is he wants he a he's a player that wants to play. And I think that the United States gives him that opportunity on the international level. And I don't know if any of his other options right now do. I
1: heard I heard Chris Whittingham on the Football with Grant Wall podcast, which is which is great. You guys should go check it out if you haven't already. I heard him make the point. Comparing the English player pool right now with the American player pool, and that's an angle I hadn't thought of. That that sort of sets aside Italy and Ghana for a minute, but even just looking at the the players that Gareth Southgate has available, there's talent in central midfield, real, real talent in England's center of midfield. Not to say that the U.S. doesn't have good quality players. Tyler Adams is, is a very promising, younger, developing number six. Weston McKenney as well, is making moves with Juventus right now but Yunus Musa could be the third guy. And that can be very realistic as a teenager. In England and in the the English midfield right now, that's not nearly as realistic. So seeing Yunus Musa have fun, seeing him smile as he comes off the field. It's fun to watch because it makes us think about what could happen and again all of that is made possible by vacation in 2002 by Eunice Musa's mother so thank you to Eunice Musa's mother
2: very very big thanks to Yunus Musa's mom <laughs> for choosing the United States as her vacation destination and if any other uh, if any other nationals of other other countries of origin that are thinking of possibly giving birth to future world-class uh, soccer players, are interested in taking a vacation to the United States around nine months from their time of pregnancy, then I highly encourage that for you as well.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm into that. I think we should maybe set up some sort of fund. I'm pretty sure FIFA wouldn't have any problem with us. No, no in that no. way. I can't that's, see anybody having any issues with that. That's within
2: the rules. I'm fairly certain.
1: <laughs> Adam, I know we've been going back and forth. Can I add in another U.S. Men's National Team? Please do. Uh, thing that I'm thankful for? Okay, okay. Uh, for me, the next U.S. Men's National Team thing that I'm appreciating and wanting to bring up is, is just, I'm thankful for the inordinate amount of sauce that the U.S.'s young generation (laughs) guzzled directly before the November friendlies, but also just has consistently coursing through their veins in their young professional careers. Very much so. I, I am all the way there with you. We've got Serginho Dest, just scored his first ever goal for Barcelona. The first ever goal scored at Barcelona by an American. Dest did that, and he does that by saucing up the entire right side of the field or the left side of the field if he's playing at left back. Weston McKinney as well. Not a guy I tend to think of as having incredible skill moves, but we see him against Wales and against Panama, and he's rouletting, he's turning, he's doing all sorts of things and then adding in the Italian hand gestures to go with it. <laughs> I mean, come on, get out of here. Then you've got Conrad and Ulianes, and these those are two young wingers who can not only control the ball and impact the team in the attack in a in a more realistic way, but they can also break some ankles out there on the field. Their U-20 teammate, Richie Ledesma, another U-20 teammate, the the son of the president of Liberia that you alluded to earlier, Tim Weya. Those are just six guys, and I know there are more out there. Those are just six guys who have truly impressive abilities on the ball, and they are absolutely ready and willing to pull out a skill move at a moment's notice.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to look at that that game against Wales and watch, once again, Sergio Dest do, I believe an Elastico nutmeg on Dan James. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it wasn't Elastico. Um, I know that he tends to be a purveyor of the Elastico or the snake or whatever you would like to call that move. Um, but I watched that and I just thought to myself, when was the last time the United States men's national team had players with that sort of confidence and that sort of willingness to go out and say, you know what? I want to prove that I'm better than you and I'm going to do it this way. And that attitude, honestly, it, th- I'm going to throw out a name. And I don't think when I say it, I don't think that necessarily that Serginho Dest plays like this player. But I, I, the attitude reminds me a little bit of a, almost a Clint Mathis kind of person hmm. where every game is an opportunity to obviously go out, have fun, play your best, and, you know, continue to achieve your dreams. But also, it's an opportunity to prove why I'm there and to prove that I am not only good enough to play against you, I'm better than you. And I think that that's a very important quality that has been missing a lot from a lot of U.S. players. Obviously, I think you had people like Clint Dempsey, where everybody talks about Clint Dempsey and and how Clint played with a chip on his shoulder and that sort of attitude that he brought to the game. And I think that we have been missing that a lot, especially since Clint retired. And I think that you're seeing more and more of these players that are coming up and more of these players that you just mentioned that have that chip on their shoulder in addition to the abundance of talent that they obviously have. And those are two very important and potent things to mix together.
0: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh Football Club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to
1: MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. I guess I'll toss in with this sauce appreciation moment just the number of players, the number of young American players playing at high-level clubs now, playing in the Champions League. There are more players right now for the United States playing in the UEFA Champions League than there have ever been at one time before. The U.S. has young talent, and that hasn't always been the case, and I don't want to take that for granted right now. I think we're seeing the start of of a consistent production line, a consistent assembly line of, of young, talented American soccer players. There are guys in MLS right now who have it and who are going to move on. Brendan Aronson is already going to move to RB Salzburg now that the union are eliminated from the MLS Cup playoffs. And there's Paxton Pomacal and Brian Reynolds in Dallas. And there there are guys all over the league right now, not as many as there could be or maybe even should be. But we're starting to see more and more players getting produced, more and more high-level American players who are then going to go on and play at higher and higher levels. And that's only going to elevate the national team. But even, even setting that aside, yeah, I'm thankful for Sauce this year, Adam.
2: Yeah. And, and that kind of leads me into one of my thankful points, which was also getting to watch Americans in the champions league and thinking about what this experience was like, not even a decade ago and barely maybe even like a world cup cycle and a half ago. If you look at like 2013 and 2014, um, what us fans following American players had to look forward to. And it was a lot of, Hey, uh Jermaine Jones got 15 minutes for Schalke in a losing effort uh against a Russian team and and that was obviously there were some people that were having success but that was like a, the bulk of it that that formed a lot of our our following and and a lot of like cause for excitement like oh good you know we have a a player that is Proving that he is a, a good a good depth option for a Champions League team that isn't doing very well in the Champions League, to now where Serginho Dess is scoring for Barcelona in the Champions League, <laughs> like the levels of that are massive. And you're right that there are even more people that are are coming up and coming out and that are getting these interests. Uh, you mentioned Brian Reynolds. It was just reported today by uh, by Third Degree, who cover FC Dallas and North Texas uh, FC, that. FC Dallas reportedly is going to be getting an offer on the table for Brian Reynolds from Juventus. So this is this is a big deal. And, and, I, and I think that you are correct that we shouldn't be taking this very lightly, that the American pipeline all of a sudden is very, very real, that a lot of these clubs are getting more serious about offers being put on the table from big teams. I think even just less than five years ago, three or four years ago, you saw Sporting KC kind of turning down Juventus over and over and over again with Eric Palmer Brown until eventually he just leaves for a free to now possibly FC Dallas getting Brian Reynolds from selling Brian Reynolds for millions of dollars. Three years ago, Brian Reynolds was the like third or fourth string U-17 US striker. Like he wasn't getting into games. He wasn't cracking the lineup outside of being a substitute for Josh Sargent most of the time. And even then, it was a lot of the time coming in, playing some garbage time goals. So now he's a right back. He's possibly going to be worth millions of dollars to FC Dallas because they're going to sell him to this team. This is a really, really big shift that has occurred and is occurring in 2020. And I am excited by it as a U.S. men's national team fan. And it is something that I look forward to seeing more of. No doubt.
1: No doubt on that at all from me. Adam, I went back to back and you just sort of had one there adding on to what I what I was thankful for. Do you want to take another one off your list? Absolutely.
2: You know, I'm thankful for MLS Cup playoffs and I'm thankful for the chaos instituted therein, specifically in the Orlando City and New York City F- uh, yeah, NYCFC game that, that just occurred a few days ago. And, you know, I just wanted to put this on there because I felt like this game deserved to be eulogized in audio form. So let's talk about it a little bit. And the absolute legend that is Rodrigo Schlegel for Orlando <laughs> City Stepping up, saying, I can do it, Poppy," to Oscar Pereja and stepping into goal and looking not good. He did not look like a keeper at all. He looked probably about what I would look like if I tried to go step out into a Wreckley game and play goalkeeper at this point in my life. But you know what? He sure is shooting made that save. It happened. And Orlando City won because of it. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, Rodrigo Schlegel for background,
1: because this is entirely ridiculous. And I think we all need to make sure that we're all on the same page so we can all appreciate the absurdity of this moment. It's Rodrigo Schlegel who's a who's a center back for Orlando City. He's not a starting center back. He's a he's a depth defender for Oscar Pareja and Orlando City. He has to step in during a penalty kick shootout because. Pedro Gaese has picked up a second yellow card for stepping off of his line during a penalty kick shootout because, and this all happens because Major League Soccer still is using the rules from the last European season because their calendar does not line up with a lot of the rest of the soccer club world. And so Gaese gets the second yellow card because he steps off his line. And Orlando City all of a sudden need a goalkeeper. They can't use their backup goalkeeper, as they found out, because you can't bring on someone during a penalty kick substitution. You can't, during a penalty kick shootout, you can't make a substitution. And so, Rodrigo Schlegel, uh, a big guy. He's a big guy, Adam. Honestly, he's a big
2: dude. He's a large human being.
1: He steps in, and he steps into goal, and he has the, the jersey on, and he has the gloves on, and he looks a little ridiculous. And I'm guessing he would admit that wholeheartedly. And he uh, he whiffs well, not whiffs, but he, he misses badly on a couple of saves, and then then he does it. He he could do it, Poppy,
2: as it turns out. Yeah, he really, really could. He did that thing that you do that you sometimes see. Uh, I, I remember my my high school goalkeeper teammate doing this, where you kind of start fake one way and then run the other way, hoping that you throw throw the the, the kicker off and uh it doesn't work it doesn't work at all <laughs> they 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 just kick the, kick the ball into the net and he's just kind of left standing there and, and even the save he made didn't was not graceful didn't look good in <laughs> in terms of goalkeeper aesthetics but he gets up and he reads the shot as best he can and he does his best tim melia impression And he saves it and Orlando City celebrate as if they had won, which they had not yet. They still had to finish the game, which was the second time that Orlando City had celebrated as if they had won only to have to recongregate to still take another penalty kick because a similar thing happened when Pedro Gallese got the second yellow card because he made the save on that play. And Oscar Pereja thought that they hit that Orlando City had won. He ran off the field into the locker room screaming. They had to bring everybody back in. They had to do the whole thing with giving him the red card, then telling Orlando City, no, you can't sub Brian Rowe into the game and then getting Rodrigo Schlegel into goal. They do it again. They celebrate again before they have won the game. It is wild entertainment. I loved every second of this video. And less stays crazy. It does. It always
1: will be. I'll, I'll be shocked if that ever changes, but it steps it up a level. It it outdoes itself in the playoffs. We have this this penalty kick fiasco that turns out well for Orlando City. And even before that in this game, it was Juan and Gary McKay-Steven, uh, yeah. Orlando City's right back versus or an NYCFC winger. And there's some shoving, a, a light shove and a kick. To an unfortunate region, mm-hmm. and then a massage from Nani and a red card, and I mean, <laughs> just go back, go back, and just there are highlights of this on Twitter. You can find it so easily. It'll change your life. And even outside of this game, Adam, we have Chris Wondolowski's late, late, late goal for San Jose to get them into extra time against Sporting Kansas City. They're the eight seed. SKC is the one seed out west, and Wando rescues them and gets them into extra time. And the narrative is just waiting to be finalized as Wanda was going to lead that team to victory in what might have been his last season, might have been his, his last attempt to win an MLS Cup. But then Tamilia says, nah, I don't, I don't think so. And he saves three straight penalties. The sporting Kansas City goalkeeper saves three straight penalties at the start of the post-extra time shootout, essentially winning the game all on his own for SKC. The MLS Cup playoffs are just downright bonkers.
2: Tim Mealy going full Terminator and absolutely <laughs> shutting down any and all narratives about Chris Wondolowski being the hero. Uh, and, and I mean, you still, you can go on, you can go on with uh, some of the goals that were scored in that Columbus crew in New York Red Bulls game. You can go on with Ricardo Pepe playing the hero and scoring the equalizing goal in the dying minutes for FC Dallas against Portland. And then subsequently FC Dallas sinking eight penalties in a row in the shootout to defeat the Portland Timbers, the MLS's back champions to bounce them from the playoffs and kind of seal their own upset victory. There's just so much that has already happened in this MLS Cup playoffs. And I can't wait to see what continues to happen. I am
1: right there with you. It is going to be a wild ride that I am 100 percent, 1000 percent here for. I'm going to shift us out of Major League Soccer and and take us across the Atlantic. If you are willing to come with me on this journey, heading over to Two European leagues, uh, the Premier League and La Liga. I'm thankful that this year in 2020, headed towards 2021, but this European calendar, I'm thankful that we have parity in the Premier League and in La Liga. The Premier League right now, to run through some teams in the the standings, in the table. Manchester City, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City team is 13th. Arsenal Mm -hmm. is 12th. Manchester United is 10th. That's three of the, the top six teams. In the Premier League, down in the middle, trending towards the bottom of the table. Then you've got Southampton up in fifth, Aston Villa and West Ham in seventh and eighth. That's absurd. That's downright ridiculous. We don't see that happen. Then looking at La Liga, we have Real Sociedad in first place, newly promoted Cadiz in fifth. They're one spot, only one spot behind Real Madrid, who are in fourth right now. And then you go down a bunch of spots on the table, and oh, look, there's FC Barcelona in 13th. These are some strange happenings in Europe. And for me, it makes the soccer over there even more entertaining.
2: Yeah. And I think what's even, even, what even amplifies your point a little bit is how so many of these teams that are finding themselves towards the top of the table when they are usually not in that position, how these teams are doing it and how these teams are playing. Because a lot of these teams are playing really, really good, entertaining soccer. I love watching Southampton play. It is a lot of fun seeing Danny Ings get to do his thing, watching Ralph Hassenhotel's men run around the field. Obviously, Real Sociedad has been a joy to watch over the last couple of seasons. Um, and it's a little bit of a sting for me as a Dortmund fan, watching Alexander Isak do so well for them when I don't think he was really ever given a chance to shine for Dortmund when he was on their team just a few years ago. Um, but it's been really cool to see them do so well in La Liga. And, and even more, you have these teams like Leicester City, like Aston Villa, all these teams that you don't necessarily expect to be at the top of the table that continually just impress you that do things that you're not expecting and I am super thankful as are you to see some parody in these leagues that are so often ruled by the legacy tyrants of the countries the arsenals and Chelsea's and Manchester United's of the world very sorry to Taylor for shouting out Manchester United but <laughs> he's not on this episode so he's gonna have to deal with it and that's just the way it's gonna be
1: this is our chance it's, to just to a little bit yeah
2: yeah, this is the coup. You are all a part of the coup with us to take over the Total Soccer Show. And now that I've said it, it's real. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, Taylor, but I uh, guess you're going to have to figure this out when you get back from paternity leave. Anywho, you have all of these things occurring and you have all of these teams that are doing so much better than they normally are. It is making these leagues very, very entertaining. It has to be said and it's going to make
1: the rest of 2020 and headed towards 2021 the rest of this season in Europe it's going to make that very entertaining. Will these big teams who are not near their normal spot in the table will they be able to climb back up or are these are these younger more up and coming teams that we're seeing in La Liga or just different teams that we're used to seeing towards the the top half or the top third of the Premier League are they going to stick around and challenge for European spots? I mean there's a lot that I'm interested to see how how it's going to play out over the rest of this season. And I'm thankful for that. Adam, I've got one more thing on my list that I'm thankful for. I don't know how many you have left. Do you want to go and then I can close us out with mine and you can just run us through however many you have left?
2: Well, I only have one more big one. I do have technically two. Uh, one of them is, I think, very small and it's just uh Casey Stoney's game day style, the, uh, the manager for Manchester United women's team, uh, very, very appreciative of all of the fashion and the looks that she brings to the sideline, because I think that fashion is often neglected by many soccer managers in today's <laughs> game. And is I that a just shot at really... Julian Nagelsmann?
1: Adam, is that a shot at Nagelsmann?
2: Okay. All right. Listen, he does some weird things with vests, but I'm usually more or less okay with the things that Julian Nagelsmann wears. However, he's not touching Casey Stoney's coat game just ever. She has just a phenomenal outerwear collection and I'm jealous of it constantly. So that's a really quick one (laughs) that I'll run through. The other one that I have down is Erling Holland and Gio Reyna's super friendship because I think it is adorable and also in a weird way, very, very important for this Dortmund side. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit because I am a Dortmund fan and that is kind of how I'm approaching this. I think that for a long time, you saw Dortmund as this club that succeeded because they were consistently kind of greater than the sum of a lot of their parts. They unearthed a lot of young talent and were able to turn them into legit bona fide stars that would then go out to other clubs and they would restart the process again. But I also think that for a long time, you saw a lot of these super friendships that were occurring within the Dortmund squad. And you saw this with, uh, Marco Hoyce and Pierre Emmerich Aubameyang. I think you saw this for a while with Christian Pulisic and, uh, a player that he came up with that's still on Dortmund's team. That is probably not of the same stature or, uh, fame as Christian Pulisic is at this point, but Felix Paslak, uh, who is, a, another Dortmund Academy product, um, And you saw a lot of these people that just seemed to be forming really, really close and tight relationships with each other on the Dortmund side. And I had kind of been missing that a little bit with this current iteration of the Dortmund team. Not to say that I thought that the team wasn't getting along because I thought they were, but I just didn't see that that feel that same vibe that I would get from a lot of those other Dortmund teams that I've followed in the years past. And it has returned full force with the relationship of Erling Holland and Gio Reyna because it's very, very clear that they are quite good friends. It's very funny to hear them talk to talk about each other in uh, in post game interviews, Erling Holland is very, very intent on making that the American dream nickname stick for Gio Reyna. Uh, Gio Reyna has frequently referred to Erling Holland as his driver because Gio Reyna was not old enough to get a driver's license in Germany yet. So Erling Holland had to be the one to drive him around, pick him up and go to practice and that sort of thing. And it's just fun to see. I like watching them clearly be friends and have fun on the field together
1: we were on a very similar page because my last thing that i'm thankful for that we're going to talk about today there are other things in life that i'm thankful for don't worry everyone but it's <laughs> it's it's another erling holland related thing and i want to go back to yours in just a minute but i'm going to toss mine out quickly so that we can flip back and get to that super friendship as you called it my my last thing on my list that i'm thankful for is that erling holland isn't in CONCACAF. Uh, He's (laughs) he's 20 years old, but he he thankfully plays for Norway, so UEFA can deal with him. Holland to run through some stats really quickly, he has 17 goals in all competitions for Dortmund so far this season. (laughs) We're not even halfway through the season yet. He scored four goals in his most recent Bundesliga game, and more recently than that even, he crushed a goal against Bruges in the Champions League earlier this week, and that was his second goal of the game for Dortmund. And so as someone who spends a lot of time watching the U.S. national team, and as someone who cares... Very deeply for John Brooks's ego and, and Chris Richards coming up maybe and playing alongside of him or whoever that right center back is next to John Brooks. I'm grateful on their behalf, if nothing else. I'm thankful that Erling Holland does not play his national team games in the CONCACAF region. But Adam, shifting back to yours, that super friendship is great um, from your perspective as a Dortmund fan, but also really really fun to watch as a neutral or even as someone who's interested in Gio Reyna's career trajectory. They have a connection, and I don't know if you see this because it seems to me the off-field stuff is there and the the post-match stuff is there, but on the field you can see it translating there. They have uh, an ability to work off of each other with Giorena playing Erling Holland behind the line and in between the the opposing right back and right center back into that channel on the left side that Holland loves to run into. They have like a telepathic connection on the field for Dortmund, and it's resulted in some assists for Giorena, some goals for Erling Holland, and a
2: lot a lot of entertainment for me yeah, I mean Erling Holland is just an absolute freak in transition. I saw somebody post a stat on Twitter today, and I don't remember who posted it, and so I'm very, very sorry and I also don't know if this is true, but given my knowledge and watching Erling Holland, I believe it, and it's that in his pro career, Erling Holland has taken something like between 90 and a hundred shots and that he has scored 90 goals. <laughs> Or or not 90 goals. He's scored 70 goals um from those from those shot totals. Or maybe it was shots on goals and he scored 70 of those. Sure. Either way, just a wildly impressive, freakish statistic that any striker could possibly have, let alone somebody who is still so young as Erling Holland is. And you're right, they do share an obvious connection on the field. There is an obvious comfort with the way that Erling Haaland plays that striker position and the spots that Gio Reyna tends to end up with on the ball on the field. He is able to drop into the hole that kind of is created between the holding midfielders and the opponent's defensive line. And he's frequently able to pick out Erling Haaland making those runs. And when Erling Haaland gets going, as we all know that have watched him, it is nigh on impossible to stop him. He is fast, he is huge, and he is coming for you with that absolute <laughs> train of a left foot that he has. It's really, really cool to watch as a Dortmund fan, but I am also very much with you that it would be utterly terrifying to see in CONCACAF in a region where there isn't a lot of qualification spots for, World, for the World Cup, uh, and I'm glad that the US doesn't have to play their way through Norway in order to get to the World Cup. Although I will say it has been a frequent meme amongst a lot of American Dortmund supporters for a long time now that John Brooks always plays like he is an utter god whenever he plays Dortmund. That has been that was true when he was playing for Hertha Berlin. That's still kind of true when he plays for Wolfsburg. He, it feels like saves a lot of his best games for Dortmund.
1: <laughs> well, I apologize on John Brooks' behalf for that, that trauma that he's caused you Dortmund fans over the years I do not apologize for the ground that we have covered on today's episode. Multiple continents, North America, Europe, and maybe some other ones thrown in there as well. Adam, we've talked a lot about things that we're thankful for, and I'm thankful for you, sir, for coming on and joining me today.
2: Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm thankful for you having me on as in addition to Taylor and Ryan and everybody else involved with the total soccer show for giving me an opportunity to hang out with you guys, chat a little bit more. It's a lot of fun for me. Uh, and I, I don't know, I like doing it. So thank you. We do have fun around here. Listeners,
1: thank you for listening. And the total soccer show will be back again soon.